Stay fly. Stay fly. What actually happens is once a cop does something bad, they have a bad record because of union issues and other issues and the fact that the city is paying for it. It is in the city's best interest to cover it up and to let him re- and to let him quit. He quits. So what does he do? Gets a job someplace else. Next job someplace else, right. And he's a bad cop, right? So now he gets he, he does a thing in another place. Well, now we hear of two incidents in two different places. Well, cops are terrible. No, it's the same cop. That cop now quits, goes someplace else. You're listening to The Fly Guy Show. They do everything on the fly and in such a fly manner. Stay fly, stay fly, stay fly. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. <laughs> hey, this is Ernie Thomas here on the Bold School Podcast. You're listening to Psycho Varner's Fly Guy Podcast. Support, like, subscribe, and share. He's saying some good things. Share it. Don't keep it to yourself. All right. Welcome to a combination of Get On Code, the Fly Guy Show, and the Beach Brothers Show. So, the Get On Code the Fly Guy Show is a series of melanated conversations focused on improving our collective situation through health, wealth, and knowledge of self. Uh, tonight, we're going to be dealing with wealth in terms of the political realm. Uh, politics is wealth. It's the management of resources, wealth, <laughs> which is one of the reasons that we're dealing with health, wealth, and knowledge of self tonight on Get On Code and the Beach Brothers. Tell us a little bit about the Beach Brothers Show, good brother. Beach Brothers show focuses on not only yourself, myself, and our good buddy Jose Cruz, where we like to sit down and talk about Virginia Beach, Hampton Roads, greater Virginia, what makes uh, the business landscape tick and the political landscape tick. We bring in a lot of political guests, business guests to just uh, shoot the breeze and have ourselves a good time to talk about what's good uh, with Virginia. All right, so let's get beachy. Let's get beachy. Uh, Tonight, we're going to go in a little different direction. As I said, we're going to be dealing with the wealth of politics. Uh, And we have two political leaders in the Libertarian Party, interestingly enough, that uh, we're going to be chatting with. One is doing big things in my home state of NYC. I'm a Brooklyn boy, so uh, salute all my Brooklyn. Hey, Brooklyn is a blood type. All right. All right, so uh, uh, Conrad, tell us who we have on the show with us tonight. Well, tonight's uh, guest was born in New York City, as we just touched on, in 1968. He joined the Marines in 1986, serving until 1993. He earned an anthropology degree at the University of Maryland University College, which is always a great institution to try to say. Uh, Then he went on to be an English teacher, founded a trucking company, selling that company, then building Neo Sage Group Incorporated, an online business training company where he's managing director. He's also been a staunch activist in the libertarian realm, running for the National Libertarian Party vice presidency seat in 2016 and 20, and for New York's governor as libertarian in 2018. Uh, Mr. Larry Sharp is on tonight. We welcome you um, to the show and thank you for coming on and um, I also want to take this moment to uh, bring on Terry Hurst as a like a co-host because he's in the area, just starting up um, the new Hampton Roads Libertarian Party. Is a Libertarian Party Hampton Roads? It's a, I forget which organization it was, but you're instrumental in forcing this forward into new and greater heights. So that's why we have wanted to bring you guys both on. And it turns out you're already friends. 
So yep. But that's a good thing. <laughs> All hey, libertarians, we are friends by default. It's just how it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's only nine of us in the country, so that's kind of easy. Well, there's. It's hard to make a third party role if there's only nine members of the entire party across yes. the entire way. Uh, Mr. Sharp, um, I also want to touch on the fact that um, you just got off of the Sharp Way. I had on a guest, Miss Rose. She was great. That was a, a really fascinating show. It was in depth. I'm glad you're able to come on to this show, too, after doing that. It's just a great looking show overall. Um, since you touched on a combination, this is my fifth show today. Damn. <laughs> yes, I produce over usually over eight hours, sometimes up to twelve hours of live content every week. Are you tired mentally, or are you Always. still uh, driven? <laughs> Always. I hear you on that one. I hear you on that one. Um, we we want to underscore the fact that this is a. Um, libertarian show with uh, yourself and Mr. Terry and um, since you're coming all the way from New York and you have a little bit of a, a national scope we would like you to bring us um, to your rise to libertarian activism what what drew you to those stances and uh, was it your business history was it your serving in the military teacher it's a, it's a, it's a funny uh, you know you asked this question I, I came to the libertarian party not because of politics I came because of business uh, when I, as a business you know, teacher, trainer, I've taught at a couple colleges, uh, Baruch, Yale, Columbia. Uh, I've also done about a bunch of consulting, training, coaching. And I was, as I was doing that, one of the mentors I was reading was a guy by the name of Robert Ringer. Robert Ringer wrote the book, uh, Looking Out for Number One, uh, To Be or Not to Be Intimidated, uh, Action, Nothing uh, Happens Until Something Moves. And he's a big Ann Rander. He, he's an objectivist. He likes like Atlas Shrugged and things of that sort. I'm not an objectivist. However, he did say I should read Atlas Shrugged. So I did. And reading that novel made me start thinking more about maybe government does get in the way. So I was now open to that concept based upon uh, a business mentor. Now, with that in mind, I was never very, very political. Um, I, I was born and raised in the South Bronx, born in Manhattan, actually raised in the South Bronx, um, became, uh, I, I guess, more left-leaning as a kid because my family was Democrats, but more right-leaning as, as a Marine because the Marine Corps is is very much a conservative organization. My first commander-in-chief was Ronald Reagan, and all my leadership was conservative, and everyone who I looked up to was far more conservative. So I think I became much more right-leaning as a, as a youngster. But then Bill Clinton made me think, wow, this is cool. A guy could play a saxophone in Arsenio Hall. He's going to save the world. So I kind of then thought maybe he was the, the, the right guy. I know, dumb, but I tell people this story all the time. I'm just trying to be honest, right? I mean, I could lie and go, I was always super smart. When I was nine, I was reading, uh, you know, Bastia. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> um, that's not what happened at all. Um, I thought he was cool because he played a saxophone. Maybe he's the guy. Totally fooled by him, but he still wrote the crime bill. He gave everybody in my world, he gave them basically... Uh, you know, two, three strikes and you're out. And he gave us, he, he put more of my, my friends in prison than ever. Uh, he was not the president I wanted him to be. At that point, I said, you know what? They all suck. And I decided Perot was the guy. So I became a third party guy. I thought Perot was going to save us. Nader was going to save us. Yes. I, I literally voted for Nader in 2000 and 2004. Yes. It was Nader later. See, he was going to save us all. So anyway, um, so I became that guy. So I was never really a libertarian at all. But by 2008, I fell for the Obama piece. Well, Obama's definitely different. This guy's going to save us. He's the answer to us all, right? This time it'll work. 
So then when he disappointed me even more, I was done. I was like, this this, this is just devastated my uh, my business. And I wasn't going to vote anymore. I was like, I'm done. This is it doesn't work. Let me just focus on my business. Who cares who the president is? Who cares who the senators are? I'm just going to run my business. And then I heard Gary Johnson speak. And Gary Johnson was an entrepreneur just like I was. Gary Johnson was talking about things that seemed to make sense to me. And when I met him, I thought he was one thing that I really loved. He was human. He was human. And I never forget talking to him. I met him at some event. I forgot where I met him. Some event. He was talking about picking judges. And what he said was when he was governor of New Mexico, he said he'd asked the judge this question. He said, if there was a law passed by legislature that you had to enforce. And there was a law that said if you found a 17-year-old kid who was guilty of, of graffiti, he must be, mandatory minimum, sentenced to death. And he was then convicted. Would you sentence him to death? What would you do? And he said, as long as the judge didn't say yes, he could pick him. It didn't matter what he said if it wasn't yes. Because if he goes yes, of course, that person is not good enough for Gary Johnson. He's not a human being. No. You've got to be someone who goes, I, no, I'm going to find a way around it. I'm going to just stay it. I'm going to look through this or I'm going to resign or whatever the case may be. I'm not going to sentence a 70 year old to death. That's a man I will follow. That's a man that I supported in 2012. I eagerly supported him in 2016. And that's why I joined the Libertarian Party. Gary Johnson brought me to the party. And that's when that it. happened, I thought, you know, that's not a guy who's going to say, you know, put people in jail for smoking marijuana. That's not a guy who's going to bomb people in foreign countries because their skin color is brown. That's not a guy who's going to crush businesses because he grew his own business. He was a business owner. He understood the damage the state does to the economy. That was what libertarian was about. He was an instinctive libertarian, not a book read libertarian, not a hardcore anarchist. He was not a hardcore libertarian. He was not. But in my world, he was radical because I'd never heard this before. Now I'm far more radical than Gary Johnson is. But then that was radical for me. So I joined the party. Um, I then supported our, our, our gubernatorial candidate in 2014. I then tried to become Gary Johnson's um, VP candidate in 2016. I lost by 31 votes. Not that I'm counting. Stop counting, Terry. I'm not counting. You're counting. Nobody cares. Uh, anyway, 31 votes. In, uh, I lost. And uh, Bill Well became the nominee instead of me. And then I ran for governor in 2018 for many reasons. One of them is I was considering leaving New York. I was, for what I do for my business, I need big city, right? I need lots of big organizations to do what I do. I support a lot of veterans causes. I used to, not as much now, but I used to support a lot more veterans causes and those I have to do for free. So I got to charge the big companies a lot of money so I can do that for free. So um, I needed a big city. And one of the cities I looked at was Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was a nice big city and had big companies there. And I realized I could sell my house in Queens and buy a mansion in North Carolina, have no mortgage, pay less taxes. What am I doing in New York City? So I got angry. I didn't move. I got angry. And I said, why does my state suck? Why do I have to leave my friends, leave my family, leave leave where I'm born? Why do I have to do that? My mom died in South Carolina and missing her family because she couldn't retire in my state. I said, no, I'm gonna go do something. So I literally took a year and a half off of my life and I didn't work, didn't take a salary for a year and a half. And I crossed New York State for 18 months. I raised half a million dollars, got the highest vote total that we ever got in the state, gained ballot access. 
and then traveled the state again the next year and got 103 victories Libertarian Party in New York State. We went from zero Libertarians to 103 in one year. And wow. that's what I did. And now I still stay active. I run the sharp way. I still want to stay active because the number one thing in my world is Libertarians sit in echo chamber all day long and talk to each other. Yeah. My sharp way show isn't the Liberty show. It's not that. It's the sharp way show. And you know who's almost never on the sharp way show? Libertarians. Everybody who's not libertarian is on. If you remember the show today, she's a yeah. Republican. She's a conservative. I even had I I've I have lib, I have Democrats. I had a Marxist on. I had a socialist on. I've had hardcore Republicans on. I want people to see that we can have a communication either way. We can talk back and forth, and that in the end of it, people don't actually care about libertarian or Republican or Democrat. They want someone who can solve their problems. So they really Absolutely. want the long run. That's what Absolutely. they want. That's what Absolutely. I'm about. That's what I'm trying to fix right now. And I also have one last piece, and I hope I haven't gone too long, uh, but the one last piece I want to bring up no is I really believe that the only way that we can solve the rift in our country is with a third party. Someone has to be a referee. Someone has to be able to cross the aisle. Democrats and Republicans don't talk to each other, and they won't. And I'll give you the best example I can. This was last year. Last year, after the death of George Floyd, the Democrats yelled to fund the police and the Republicans yelled back the blue. And that was it. No one did anything except those two. They yelled to fund the police, back the blue, rah, rah, that's the end. Who did something? The one libertarian we had in Congress. There was one libertarian in Congress. His name's Justin Amash. Justin Amash, yeah. That's correct. He actually said, how do we solve this? And he came up with an idea. And his idea was, why don't we start with ending qualified immunity? And because he was libertarian and he couldn't do it with anybody else, he crossed both sides of the aisle and said, hey, Democrats, Republicans, can we talk? And they went, yeah, we're on board. And he created the first tripartisan bill ever. Now, of course, neither Mitch McConnell nor Nancy Pelosi actually got voted on anything, so it never got voted on. But he actually crossed the aisle. Why? Because we must. Democrats cannot cross the aisle or they get primary. Republicans can't cross the aisle or they get primary. The libertarians must. People say, well, Larry, you'll never get 51%. I don't need 51%. Imagine if there were just two libertarians in the Senate right now. We'd be the swing vote. We'd run everything. Just two. You know what? That's, that's a good point. You're, you're making good points. One of the things that really disturbs me is after the uh, George Floyd uh, murdering, the politicians did very little. Very little. Now, as a person of African descent, a lot of uh, a lot of black people, a lot of melanated people expect that the Democrats are going to do something. It's kind of intriguing because you said yourself earlier that you were saying, oh, he's going to be the savior. Oh, Ross Perot is going to be the savior. So, so And for some reason, blacks, for some reason, we look at politicians as superstars or saviors like they're going to do something I can just I can just leave it to Barack Obama Absolutely. I can just leave it to Jesus I can leave it to Kamala Harris I can leave it to Joe Biden and both parties have ignored the plight of my people in America since emancipation Absolutely. we've asked for three simple things we've asked to have a, a equitable experience in the judicial system we asked for those of us who paved and paid and slaved away to get reparations for what was destroyed. And we've asked for the American uh, government to place us in front of immigrants. And everybody 
Republican, Democrat, most famously our current administration with Biden and Harris, were like ignoring all of that stuff. We ain't doing nothing for you. Uh, we're going to help everybody else but y'all. So why, now why I'm kind of looking at a third me, party and saying, yes. we need some. We need a different option because the Democrats aren't working for us. The Republicans aren't working for us. I want to see what the Libertarians do. When, I want to see what the Libertarians do. you have do. a moment, I, um, I agree with you completely, right? I don't know if you know, I'm biracial. My father was black. Mm-hmm. So in American one drop rule, I'm black. And if you oh, look you're at my- Oh, you're man. Yeah. That's it. If, if you look at you're my black, Wikipedia bro. page, I'm always the African-American businessman. I'm always that. That's what I always am. I'm always the African-American guy, always. So that's who I am. And I get it. I'm not, I'm happy about that. I don't have a problem with that at all. I'm, I'm happy about that. Salute but, that. Salute yes. that. But my, 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 my issue here is if you, if you care, I did a segment on, on Juneteenth last year. About a year and a half, you want to go to my Sharpway YouTube page, check that out. I went through the entire thing on why it is different, right? Why it's different with African-Americans. And I explained it in detail. I went through everything. I showed some data why it's different. So you find that people often don't even care about that. They absolutely ignore it. They just think like it doesn't even matter at all. And they don't want to talk about it. I talked about race this whole week on my radio shows. Why? Because it's, it's Black History Month. So I talk about race. I don't have a problem doing it. I'm happy to have the conversations about race every single time. And I talk about reparations. I discuss those issues. I, I absolutely do. And let me give you a piece, if I could, about that. You know, the, the problem we have with reparations is that it's so far away, right? The concept that I bring up, and, and it's sad most people don't know about this. The concept of 40 acres and a mule was an amazing idea. It was based on the concept that the actual wealthy slave owners, their plantations would be broken up and given back to slaves. They worked on it. That makes sense. So the slave owners are the ones who are punished. The poor white people who didn't own slaves don't get punished. That makes total sense, right? Makes sense. You punish the people who were the offenders. And the army, after the Civil War, literally had millions of mules it couldn't do anything with. So you right. then give the mules to the to the slave to the former slaves, and now they begin to now begin to get the land they worked on. Now they have land. Now they ha- and they can start moving from there. That was the goal. Brilliant goal. Lovely idea. Of reparations. If that had happened, we'd have a different America. If that had actually happened, literally, we'd have a different America. But it didn't because, of course, Lincoln gets killed. A- Andrew Johnson, the first president to be impeached, ruins everything. And literally. The federal government and local government came in and forcibly removed those former slaves from that land at the point of a gun. This is the difference between right. African-Americans and, and Italian-Americans, Jewish-Americans, anything else. They didn't have to deal with 150 years of state-sponsored violence. Right, That's right. the difference. And what's crazy is we give money to, I mean, we just had this uh, with our stimulus bill. We gave all this money to Israel. So we have no problems taking care of our Jewish brothers and sisters. We love them. America takes care of them. They don't take care of us. We've given reparations to my Native American family. I'm part Cherokee for decades now. I love my Native American family. I love them. But America don't look out for us. And then they give money to uh, to the Japanese that were interned for 10 years. They had to fight for it. But, so everybody else... Oh, we messed you over. We're going to have a, uh, uh, what is the name of the plan that we went over to Japan and we fixed Marshall plan. You know, uh, we're sure. going to fix everybody else that we mess up except for y'all. 
Yes. And the problem is most of us accept it and say, well, you know, that's just the way and America's getting better. No, America's been robbing us for a long period of time. Still doing. And nobody's standing up for it. So in the last election, I said, if none of these candidates are going to stand up for the things that are important to me, my ancestry and my uh, upcoming generations, I ain't rocking with you. If you're not rocking with us, we're not rocking with you. So the Libertarian Party, for the very first time, received my vote. I voted for, um, you know, Joe Jorgensen and for my good brother Spike. Uh, and it wasn't because I was voting against Trump or voting against Biden, but neither one of them gave me anything to vote for. Is voting is voting for as opposed to against? I, I voted for somebody who had my interests in order. Yep. Look, but most of us. You mentioned three things about reparations and then fairness and all those things. You want to make the black community fair. Let me talk about reparations too, but just fairness. Number one, end the war on drugs. Just end it. Just end it tomorrow. End the war on drugs and stop putting the black family in prison. I want you to imagine for a second, just imagine if there's no war on drugs after 1970. What was happening in America after the civil rights movement? Civil rights, by the way, the war on drugs was was punishment for the civil rights. That's what it was, was punishment. Absolutely. So if you take if away the war on drugs. the opiate stuff. Yes. If you take away the war on drugs, you don't have gangster rap anywhere near what it was, which made the black male look like he was a gangster. You don't have the idea of every every black man going to prison. You don't see black men on cops on the TV show going to jail every five minutes. You hit the cops. Yes, you don't have 100,000 cops in black neighborhoods. You don't have that. Clinton doesn't do that. That doesn't happen. But what else happens? You know what else you get? You get good times, the Jeffersons, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Family Matters, Cosby, sorry, before he was the guy. And what America sees is the black family. America doesn't see the black criminal on TV every night. The black, the American family, the America sees just the black family and goes, "Oh, they're just a family." Yes, no more. They're just a family. They're not criminals. They're just people who love themselves like everybody else does. Imagine if that was the outlook of America. Take the war on drugs away, and all average America sees is that fresh Prince of Bel Air, the Jeffersons, um, uh, Good Times, uh, Cosby Show, Family Matters. I just sees that. Oh my God! It would change the entire image of the black family in America. End the war on drugs. Let this happen, and eventually we can begin at least to try to heal without question. You can do that. So that's the first piece. But it's another piece. End all of these licensing for small businesses. It should be credentialing, not licensing. What do I mean by that? Licensing in New York City. New York State, you want to braid hair? You need a license. License costs you $20,000. You want to walk a dog? You need a license. Who's braiding hair? Women of color? That's what's happening. That's a reality. This is not a, there's no big braiding hair company of the world. It's not happening. That's people trying to make a buck. When I was a kid in the Bronx, on the stoop, the young girls would braid hair on the stoop for a dollar. They'd make money. That was not the entrepreneurial spirit, right? We didn't have, cabs didn't come in my neighborhood. We didn't have Uber. What do we have? We have gypsy cabs. You paint one side of your, one door on your car a different color. It's a blue car with a red door. We all know, gypsy cab. That's how it worked. We made money. My father and my mother, that's how we got out of, out of, out of the ghetto. My father uh, did a DJ gig on the side. My mom used to clean houses. That's how we got out. 
You can't do that now. Licensing stops you from being the entrepreneurship. Every single immigrant community, when it tries to grow, it is through entrepreneurship, through small business in how they grow. But when we did it in Black Wall Street, they sent the army in and burned it down to the ground. And now we all of the Black now. Wall Streets. Yes, not, all of the Black Wall Streets. All yes. of them, not just Tulsa. It was yes. many more. And we can go to Atlanta and they, uh, you know what? I want to step off. Do it. I'm gonna step off. Okay, no worries. All I'm saying is Ooh, end shot. licensing, and now we can start growing too. But there's one more piece of reparations. I have. I'll tell you what I think my reparations plan should be. It's a plan that even white people can get in, in behind. Anybody can get behind. It is understanding the critical aspect of the black community that we're often lacking, and that is the mindset of ownership. The ownership mindset is not part of our culture in general. I saw it in not my anymore. father. Not anymore. Not anymore. Right. The communities have been broken up by the government that it doesn't exist anymore. You remember Killer Mike said this. Killer Mike said there was an advantage to segregation. He said that at least you had to have a black shoemaker. You couldn't go to the white one. You had to have a, a, a black diner. You couldn't go to the white one. So you actually had to have communities that were run by black people because you couldn't go to the white ones. Right. So you had to have that. That's gone. That, that whole you go to black communities now the Koreans run it I don't mean to be racist I'm just telling you the truth yeah right someone outside the community runs all the all the franchises the community doesn't run the franchises someone else does the bodegas aren't run by people of color well they are but not black people right they're not you see that you see it all the time I want to change that how do we change that we change it by making two specific rules rule number one and we do this for a period I think of either 23 or 46 years. I picked that number because 23 years is a generation. And we accept that ownership has been the problem with the black community because it was taken away from us via government force. So either you do one generation or two, depending on how you set this up, I'm okay either way. So for the sake of argument, 23 years, 23 years, any person who's a descendant of slaves, if they transfer, uh, that they transfer wealth in any way, shape or form, it is free, regardless of taxes, regardless of fees. It, it is free. You may transfer wealth in any way you see fit within your family. That's step number one. But that gets us thinking about transferring wealth. Second piece, you create a very specific rule on taxes. This is across the country. It doesn't matter what your individual rules are. If any property is owned, whether it's commercial or personal, by 51% or more descendants of slaves, property tax, half. Done. Half property tax. I don't care what your laws are. Half. Done. For 23 years. Why? Because every white person who's wealthy who goes, I want to buy some new property goes, wait a minute. I'm going to get half tax on that? Where are my black friends? And you are going to encourage integration without forcing it. You're going to encourage the black community to step up and go, I can be part of that too. Yeah, I can. Absolutely. In fact, I want to be part of that. And all of a sudden you watch that happen. But not just that. Now, since it's not quotas, which you know in New York City how quotas work, the law firm says, oh, a 10% of our population is black. Really, where are they? Mailroom. Yeah, that doesn't happen. I'm talking ownership. You got to have 51% ownership. So they have control and they can transfer that wealth any way they see fit. But not just that. Every company too. Every company also half for 23 years. Watch integration. Watch black ownership. Watch black businesses explode. Watch that happen like there's no tomorrow. 
Watch the black community start thinking about what ownership is about. Watch entrepreneurship explode. Watch integration happen voluntarily, happily. If you want to be racist, go, I hate black people. Great, then pay your full tax, man. It's fine. I don't care. No worries. That That's fine. Do that. I don't mind. No worries. I'm not going to force you. And it's for a specific part of time. And why that even works well is over that time, are you telling me those wealthy people who make all this money on businesses, all this money on property, going to be like, I can't wait for my property taxes to go back up? No way. At the end of this period, we're going to make that tax cut permanent for everybody. That's going to happen because that's how humans work. And when that happens, everybody gets a tax cut. So what, do, what does everyone who's not black say? Thank you, black people. You gave me a tax cut. You guys are amazing. So it's nothing but warm and fuzzy. It puts actual uh, property into the black family again. You, If you also end the war on drugs and end licensing so that you encourage the black family to grow on its own, you will have a transformed black community in America in 23 years or maybe 46 years. Well, let's aim for the 23. Uh, but the, the kickaway is to make sure that we get it to go quicker. It says, for instance, Virginia is um, deliberating right now. Um, I, what was the number of the bill? HB 2132, which not only has to deal with legalization of marijuana, but it also foresees how it wants to handle recreational licensing and how it's going to be set aside more for those who have already been greatly incarcerated by this. And hopefully we let them out of prison for this as well. You're already going to get some of the skeptics who don't like that because they see that as unfair, but they don't see that as the recuperation for something that already was unfair. How so about just no licensing? In, in New York State, I said I want you to regulate cannabis like onions. That's what I said. Like onions. It's a plant. It's a plant. Regulate it like onions. You want to grow your own medicine? Do it. Go. It's a plant. I don't care. Do what you got to do. Once you start regulating, you go fall into the same area. Now, who's going to get the licenses? My cronies. That's going to happen. That's how it always works. And then they'll start raising the price for it. And then once that black guy gets in trouble, they're going to take his license away. Not his control. I see it here in New York State with the COVID response. Liquor licenses. Useless. Why does it matter? People go, well, they'll give alcohol to underage kids. You can still send your health inspectors in there anyway. You can still do that and see if they're given, you know, alcohol to kids. You don't have to have a license for that. Why bother? It is useless. It's a way of control. I'm against the licensing of anything when it comes to cannabis because all it will be used for is control and worse for quotas. And now they're going to give people licenses who are people of color and people are going to take it because the government gives it to them and they're going to be crappy business people and they're going to get fit. They're going to fail. You know who's going to step in? Wall Street. That's what happens. You will find that in the next five or 10 years after this great plan, which is a terrible plan, all the people who were originally people of color who owned the businesses will all be bought off by private equity. That's how that works. And they'll all be back out. They'll get a flat fee. They'll piss that away and they'll have nothing again. And, and Wall Street will own their stores. Terrible idea. Sounds good, feels good. Terrible idea. Speaking of Wall Street, would you like to add a few thoughts as to the past week or two that you've seen with the, you know, like the GameStop predators and and going against the hedge funds like that? That seems like that would be the libertarian way to, to deal with concentrated Wall Street wealth. The reality of it is Wall Street is a casino. They pretend like it's not. It's a casino. If you know what you're doing, it's more like poker and more like blackjack, right? There's some skill. You kind of know what's going. You're playing against others. Still casino. House always wins. 
right? If you don't know what you're doing, it's slots or, you know, roulette. If you don't know what you're doing, that's all it is. It's nothing all except for that. That's what it actually is. Now, the problem is we have the SEC. The SEC is the is is the Praetorian Guard of the of Wall Street. It is the elite guard of the Wall Street. They don't care about us. They guard the bankers. Literally, they guard the bankers. Wall Street should be run by a gaming commission. I'm not joking. It's just gambling. So it should be run by a gaming commission. People say, no, Larry, there are rules on a stock. There's no rules. If you ask anybody how a stock, what a, what a stock's price is based on, only one thing, perceived demand. That's it. Nothing else. Price to earning. That's all garbage. That's, that's people predicting the past, acting like you knew what was going to happen. None of that's true. It is all just perceived value, which is created every day by those who are elites. And the elites are fine. When Kramer goes on CNBC and yells, it's totally okay to keep, you know, this and keep that, we're fine, not against the law. But now some Reddit guys go, hey, let's do this, and they're all criminals. And I will guarantee you, they will all be criminals. They will all be criminals. They will find a way to make it illegal. They'll put them all in jail because the SEC guards the elite. It doesn't actually care about any investors, nor does it care about fairness or anything like that. Insider trading is only for those who are dumb enough, you know, to piss off people or who aren't part of the elite. Otherwise, insider trading is the norm. You might say it's not. Remember, this happened last year before COVID. We found out all those senators sold all their stuff. Remember that? They saw COVID was coming. That was okay. That wasn't insider trading. Of course it was, but they're elite. So it's okay. Make it a gaming commission. Let everybody know it's a casino. If you knew it was a casino, how many people would actually put their mortgages into a casino? Some people would, and I'm okay, but most wouldn't. But here's what I know for sure. All of your mortgages are in a casino right now. That's the that's the crowd 2008. And it still happened, hasn't changed. Would you put your life insurance in a casino? Some people would. Most wouldn't if you actually knew it. Guess what? It's in a casino right now. You think it isn't? It is. Because we've broken the wall, the barrier between savings and loan and investment bank. So every bank's an investment bank by default. So everything you do is in the market because that's where the money comes. They're literally taking your savings and it's in a casino. And I'm okay with that if you know that and you're like, you know what? I'll roll the roulette wheel on my life insurance. If you made that choice, I'm okay with that. The average American has no idea that's true. So I'm glad Reddit is kicking their ass. I hope it keeps you doing it. I hope it does. I hope they keep doing it. So again and again and again. I hope they break this. I hope they break this horrible system of elites killing us for dozens of years. The reason why the wealth gap in this country is so bad is not because Democrats are bad or Republicans are bad or whatever the case may be. The first part is obviously the Fed. The Fed's a disaster and does nothing but bad things for us. But the second part is because of the crashes. Every time there's a crash, I'm sorry. Am I going too long? I just I, I could talk about this stuff for hours. The the, 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 the every time there's a crash, the the elites always know up front. That's how it works, right? They get they get they get known up front. And again, you saw that openly with the with the Congress people from last year. And it's it's a thing called burning your books. It's so popular, it's a thing. So now you have a, a very savvy financial advisor. He knows that out of his, say, 100 clients, I'm making this up as a good argument, 100 clients, 10 of them are his top. Those are the people who have like $10 million or more of assets with that with that advisor. Everyone else has, say, $2 million or less. Those are all the chumps. And he doesn't care about them that much. So he tells the top 10%, hey, crash is coming. Get liquid. Get out. Get liquid. 
after they get out and get liquid, as the senators did and so many others do always, then he goes, oh, by the way, you guys, my chumps, yeah, crash is here. You better stop selling your stuff. Well, who's going to buy it? All the people who just got liquid. That happens again and again and again, every single crash, which is why right after every crash, you see a massive wealth gap because the middle class gets crushed and the working poor gets crushed. The very poor are already crushed, so they don't actually get hurt as much in a crash. But the media will tell you, care about the real poor. You should always care about them. But during a crash, they're as bad as they've always been. They've got no place to go. It's the working poor who get devastated and the middle class who have to sell all their assets and the wealthy who buy them, usually in bulk and usually through the venture cap firms, private equity firms, something like that. It's like they've created the economy to become one large hedge fund where they know yes. it's about to go down, so they buy the down and they know it's about to go up, so they buy the up. And the money that they used to do that is the collective society's money that they are risking. And then they Correct. scoop off the top. And that means that there's less for us. And that sort of sounds like this is where we create the phrase rigged. And that it's a general term and Bernie uses it, Trump would use it for different reasons. And even the election system in some ways can be considered rigged to um, defend the duopoly, if you will. This is why it's great to have yourself and uh, Mr. Terry on. I love it. I love it. I love it. We're going to take a... Uh a quick break and talk about some great vehicles. Conrad. After work today, I got home and enjoyed my, uh, well, I want to say enjoyed my two and a half day long fast that I was doing. I got really hungry. So I went out driving to Hardee's with some coupons and I did it very safely. And a Southern Volkswagen, a, a Jetta from 1248 South Military Highway, I want to make sure that if you feel really hungry and you want to go get yourself some fast food too, fast and safe, stop by Southern Volkswagen 1248 South Military Highway. Speak with Charlie Roy. Get yourself a car that you can go all over Hampton Roads in to satisfy your hunger. Beautiful. They have a great website with a lot of great cars. We want to say thank you to the great people at Southern Volkswagen Greenbrier for the sponsorship and support they give the Beach Brothers Show. I also want to say, hey, if you want to be really healthy, it's not just what you put in your body, it's what you put on your body. So go to commonsenseforyou.org. That's commonsenseforyou.org. They have healthy health and beauty products. For instance, uh, we found out that, uh, you know, brushing your teeth with toothpaste works, but it's not necessarily healthy. So go to commonsenseforyou.org. That's commonsenseforyou.org. Dot org. And if you're a real estate investor, I help real estate investors. I can put uh, 90% of the acquisition price and 100% of the rehab cost in your pocket so you can do your fix and flips or your buying holds or your rehab buying holds. Hey, I'm here for you. Positive Vibes Financial, 90% of your purchase price, 100% of your rehab costs. Make sure you get in contact with me. Telephone number's right there. Get in contact with me, real estate investors. And let's get back to uh, business. With before Larry we go Trump. there, before we go there, no, no, I want to tell you, Volkswagen's great. I had two Jettas. Great cars. Good. <laughs> great cars. Absolutely great one. cars. You want to head on down there? I'm with you, man. Get a Jetta. I had two. I had a Jetta back in 86, and I had a Jetta uh, in, tw- in 2012. Both totally different uh, design. Great cars. 
Didn't matter. Great cars. They'll hold up. They'll hold up for a while. Yep. The government is always two things. It's a monopoly and a jobs program. And that's why the hardcore anarchists in our party can never make real impact because they're always like, just get government out. But there's a problem when you've had a community being serviced by government for 40 years. The community doesn't have the institutional knowledge to service itself anymore. It can't do it. It doesn't know how. Government has been doing it as a monopoly for 40 years, and half the people in the community work for the government anyway. So you can't just get rid of it because people do need services. People do need help. People do need things. I just want community to be the ones who do it. Right? Just because I don't want government to do it doesn't mean I don't want it done. Right? I do want it done. But I want it done not by a program. I want it to be done by somebody who cares. Is I want it to be done by someone who knows means? better. Say it again? Isn't government that means? It can be. But the problem is, and right now it is, right? And that's the problem. Yeah. The, the, the issue that I have is, I'll give you an example. I'll use Terry's pothole example, right? I'm not someone who says, end government potholes. Not what I say. What I say is, there's actually someone right now who's actually already fixing potholes. And that is Domino's Pizza. Domino's Pizza wants to fix potholes because they have drivers. So what I would do, and this is my policy in New York. I would say, if you want to fix potholes, Domino's, you may. Here are the rules to do so. Go ahead. Fix the potholes. And you get to put your 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 symbol on every pothole you fix. Enjoy. Go fix potholes. They would go fix potholes happily because they're getting branding along the roads. Now, as soon as they start doing that, what, is, uh, what does Little Caesars do? Well, well, I want that. Great, Little Caesar. Go fix some more potholes. Well, McDonald's wants it. You know what? Let's stop this. How about instead we have McDonald's control this road and we give you a sign and you do all maintenance on this road. And all of a sudden now, what's happening? More roads are getting fixed and no one's paying extra money. Well, McDonald's is paying extra money. No, it's marketing for them. They already spend billions of dollars in marketing. There's no extra money there. And now we're getting potholes fixed. Well, the, the response is, well, then they won't go to poor neighborhoods. Well, maybe they won't, but I think poor people like McDonald's and pizza too, but I could be wrong. Maybe they don't, right? Maybe they don't. Great. I haven't gotten rid of the pothole fixers. They still exist. Now they'll be able to service the poor areas. So now poor areas get better service and we spend no extra money. And it's voluntary. No extra taxes, no force, better service for everyone. That's a libertarian solution. Now you might wow. say, but Larry, go ahead, Zargo. No, I was going to say, I love the way you're rethinking how government should serve us. Yes. You're rethinking government. Uh, so after you finish this one, you got to give me another one. What's another way that we need to rethink? I'll it? tell you another way. I discussed it here in New York City. New York City has a massive uh, deficit and a huge transportation system. So mm-hmm. I said, why are we continually raising taxes to pay for our subway system, our bus system? Why are we doing that? Instead, let's lease naming rights out to our bridges. We have a dozen bridges, over a dozen bridges in New York City. Why don't we lease the naming rights? Why Why is it now the Triborough Bridge when it could be the Verizon Bridge or the Sprint Bridge or the Sprite Bridge, Coca-Cola Bridge? Now, we have an example already. It's stadiums. They literally drop $20 million a year for a stadium that gets used on the weekends. I'm giving you a bridge that gets mentioned over a thousand times every single day on New York in New York City because of traffic reports. Not just that, it's on Google now. So it gets mentioned in Google Maps and everything else you use. Not just that, there's a big sign on it you see everywhere when people come across the bridge. Not just that, look at all the media that is produced in New York City. So you get product placement as they're doing shots of New York City. 
You get all of that, you will easily drop a hundred million dollars a year on that bridge. Easily. How do I know that? Bankers came to me when I had this plan saying, how long is the is the is the is the right uh, the leasing rights? I said it's gotta be at least 10 years. Because by default, culture has to change to call it the new bridge. Right? We're still mm-hmm. gonna call it the old mm-hmm. bridge until right, culture right. changes and makes it called the, the new bridge. Now that pe- now your name is in people's mouths in New York City all day long in a 16 million metro person area. 16 million area in the metro area. You're not gonna pay any bucks for that? Yes, you will. Not just that. On top of that all, part of it is you have to control the maintenance. So we still inspect the bridge to keep it safe. Right now in New York State, bridges collapse. That happens. With this plan, they don't. Because once it goes to a sea level, you now lose the lease. You lost everything, sorry, and you gotta pay up front. You lost all your money, homeboy. So you better fix that bridge. So now we get a safer bridge, but I'm still not done. I'm still not done. Now that we're getting money and the maintenance taken care of, why are there tolls? You end the tolls. Tolls in New York City bridges, some of them are $18 to cross one bridge. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you know it. So end tolls. What did I just do? I just saved people money. The average person who crosses that bridge is not wealthy. The wealthy people live in Manhattan. They don't cross bridges, right? So it's the poor people in the middle class who cross bridges. Now, all of a sudden, they don't pay for it. If you're a trucker and you're an owner-operator, you got to cross the George Washington Bridge, you pay per axle. That's gone. You just gave yourself a four-figure raise as an owner-operator just because of that plan. That's how, how things we, change. How do we do that to America? You have more people listening to the sharp way. People are interested. want to know more about these ideas. They they could care less whether it's a librarian, a libertarian, a capital L. Or <laughs> they want to know more about the ideas because guess what? It's the ideas that matter, not the name or the label behind it. All too often, though, America has been indoctrinated either through family upbringing or through some type of um, familial or, or um, social network or, or social sphere of influence influence that says, oh, how could you not be a Democrat? How could you not be a Republican? And they get banished and they get ostracized and they get pummeled with all these these gloom and dooms if, how could you? But mm. libertarians are just back here sitting here talking about potholes and bridges and hey, what if we did this? And opens up minds and people get intrigued and they start saying, wait a minute, is there really a way to do all this different? And we never talk about force or raising taxes ever. None of the plans I gave you use force or raise taxes. And every one of them helps the middle class and the poor. Everything I told you helps both. And, you know, you live in New York City. You know what I'm talking about. And the number one thing, number one thing I tell people, though, is get off your keyboard and get around people that are talking, you know, because it's it's easy for a keyboard warrior to stand up to you when they can't see your face and say things to you that are mean and hurtful and they're brave there. But when you get in front of someone's face and talk face to face, get in a Zoom meeting with them, you know, meet someone out at a brewery or something and have a beer and just sit down and talk. It's amazing what happens. Martin Luther King said this. I love Dr. Martin Luther King's quote. People fear each other and they hate each other because they don't know each other. Yes. Yes. They don't know each other because they don't talk to each other. Don't communicate. Get to know your neighbor. Get to know what's important to them. Let them get to know what's important to you and have those conversations because that's where it all starts. And that's how America starts to heal. 
America will start to heal when we get back to where where we were and who we were before we had mass newspapers and a cell phone in every hand. We had to we had to we had to meet at the fence post and at the fence and talk to our neighbor while we were feeding the cows or whatever. And we actually got to know what was important to our neighbor. Do I have to have a cow? That sounds a little good. You know, I'm, I'm a Wisconsin boy. What can I tell you? <laughs> OK. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> the cow part is interesting. Uh, Bro Conrad, did you have another question? I want to ask before we uh, before we tap out on how we can address some of the social upheaval with the libertarian approaches. So give us some insight on some of your approaches. I can give you so many, but I'll just give you I'll give you two. I'll give you one on police reform. And I literally have, again, if you care, please head to my, I do, I have all of this. If you go to my Sharpway YouTube page, look for two different ones. One talks about the quick plan, QICC. And the other one, if I remember the name of it, is called, oh, Jesus, I forgot the name of it. But I, I made two policies on, on police reform. One was quick and I feel bad I forgot the other one. But there's, but I do many of them. I'll just give you one piece of it. And that is, um, uh, liability insurance for police officers. Police officers are professionals like anybody else. I'm a professional. I have liability insurance. Anyone has liability insurance. So now cops should also hold their own liability insurance. That's it. They have liability insurance. They might say, well, wait a minute, Larry. Liability insurance? Yes, because here's the reality. The, the, the percentage of bad cops isn't as high as you would think. What actually happens is once a cop does something bad, they have a bad record because of union issues and other issues and the fact that the city is paying for it, it is in the city's best interest to cover it up and to let him re- and to let him quit. He quits. So what does he do? Gets a job someplace else. Next job someplace else, right. And he's a bad cop, right? So now he gets he, he does a thing in another place. Well, now we hear of two incidents in two different places. Well, cops are terrible. No, it's the same cop. That cop now quits, goes someplace else, and you wind up getting more and more and more of those. So let me keep what? going now with this. I'm not okay. done. Okay. This, this is a okay. bigger piece, right? So okay. that's the first piece. So immediately okay. if that happens, once you have liability, now the city is no longer going to pay for a cop's fault. His insurance pays. What does that mean? It is now in the city's best interest to get the truth, not to cover it up. So I've now encouraged the city to do the right thing so they don't get sued by the insurance company. So now it is their best interest to be as transparent as possible. I just made it in the the city's interest to be as transparent as possible because they're not paying for it. And the insurance company, if they're not transparent, will sue them. That's number one. But I'm still not done. On top of that now, the blue wall doesn't want to fire somebody. It doesn't have to. The insurance company does it for them. Because if the guy can't get insured, he can't be a cop. He just self-selected himself. If he does something horribly bad, his career is over. He does something a little bit bad. He pays extra in insurance for X number of years. If it was a mistake, he made a mistake. He's back on the force. Life is good. If he keeps making mistakes, he can't get insured. So he gets punished. He's gone. Done. Well, Larry, unions won't want to do this. Yes, they will, because we allow unions to be insurance brokers. If the unions are insurance brokers, they're getting a cut. If they're getting a cut of the insurance, they're happy to insure the cops. They're the brokers. They get a cut. In fact, now the the, the actual um, unions will do what they should do, which is spend 90% of the time trying to save good cops and trying to get rid of bad cops because they're not going to make money on the bad cops because they're gone. And they'll save the good cops where they can get their dues paid. That's what they want. You incentivize everything to go better. That's what I want to make it happen. Well, yes, yeah, so that's why it's quick. Q is qualified immunity. I is insurance. 
C is you uh, legalize cannabis. This way you stop the unnecessary stopping. And the last C is you end a civil asset forfeiture. So you stop having oh, okay. cops have to do it. That's why okay. it's called quick. The plan is Q-I-C-C, quick. You do that are- and, you, and you just make reform to where cops no longer incentivized to have those encounters that are incentivized to make the stops. And they're incentivized for good cops to just be good cops. And bad cops now get removed and the city isn't paying for their errors. So the city is more likely to be actually transparent so we'll know what's actually happening. And the more transparent the city is on what's happening, the more the community know what knows what's happening and the community can act accordingly. And they can find this video on your YouTube channel. You got it. Just head to my YouTube channel. It is down there. I think it was it was right after George Floyd. Um, so I did spell, two of them in a row. Spell quick again. Q-I-C-C. Q-I-C-C. Okay. Yes. So there it is right there. Okay. That's the that's the video. Talks the details of the whole thing. I have policy I make policies all the time. That's what I do. In fact, I have another one there. It is literally a, a separate playlist that is actually uh, all the COVID, how you would fix COVID and actually pay for it and handle it. And I did it last March. So I, I this is not Monday morning quarterbacking. And everything I talked about was the right answer. You can go back and watch it's ten videos, each of how we should have handled COVID from beginning to end. It gives you everything that you could think of how to handle it all. Not just that. I did another set of videos. You go there, which I went down. It's called Not Sharp Enough. No, I'm sorry. No. It, you can't feel the burn. Maybe it's not sharp enough. It is literally all of Bernie Sanders' policies. I went down his website and gave an answer for every single one of it. I did it live, off the cuff. I went down at six hours long. It's four videos. Six hours long total. I went to every single one of Bernie Sanders' policies on of his webpage and gave a libertarian answer for every one of them. Okay, all right. You, you get the thumbs up. You get the thumbs up. I'm okay. winning. You get the thumbs up. We're we're all winning. We're all winning now that we're uh, all thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and hey, I love brother that. Co. We need to kind of bring this to a close. Uh, any last things we want to tap into? I'm I'm very intrigued now because as I shared before. You know, I started off as a Democratic voter and then I started listening to Rush Limbaugh and became a Republican for a while. And, you know, because it made sense to me. And then I started seeing the hypocrisy on both sides. And I was like, oh, this this whole thing is messed up. So in 1995, I really started becoming an independent voter. Now, I did run as a uh, Democrat for the uh, school board. You know, I was told that you had to choose a side. I hated it. I chose a side. Uh, you know, I, nothing, uh, the Democratic Party of Virginia Beach is a great party, uh, you know, great organization. But um, I'm truly so far right in the middle that it, it just but what you're saying is starting to speak to me. What you're saying is starting to speak to me. I'm winning. I feel let down by both sides and we need more life. We need mm-hmm. new life. We need new life. It's, it's like, it's like <laughs> oh, this is baby, funny. Baby bird out of the nest, you know. Ask Larry a question. He has a video. (laughs) Hey, you've been watching the Get On Code, the Fly Guys Show podcast, along with the Beach Brothers Show. The Beach Brothers Show. We did a combined show tonight. Hey, we want to thank the good brother Terry. We want to thank the good brother Larry for coming on and sharing with us some sharper ideas 
to help rethink our government. We, we, you know, every so often you kind of need to rethink things. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife and I, every so often we just say, hey, let's change the room around a little bit. Let's, you know, get some feng shui going, make sure the energy is flowing just right. And uh, if we need to do that with our house, we need to do that with our governmental yes. house as well. Yes. So, uh, Chrissy put up a really long post. Uh, wow. wow. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to leave that up. She went in. I bet her thumbs are tired right now. Looks <laughs> like you're copying paste job. <laughs> Ooh, that's incredible. That's incredible. So, hey, we want to thank Brother Terry, Brother Larry, and everybody who's watched our show. Hey, good night, everybody, and uh, let's make some changes. Our world needs changes. Our government needs changes. Our people need some changes. So, uh, be that change. They fly, 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 they fly. The views expressed by the guests are only the views of the guests. Unless we say we agree. Unless explicitly stated. They fly, they fly, they fly, they fly, they fly, they fly.